Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to look there in a few minutes. Good looking group this morning, much better than last week. Uh, for those of you that didn't understand a while ago, uh, when Byron was talking, there will be a test, okay? So you will have to know if you are a monkey or koala. What's the other one, Byron? Hedgehog? Hedgehog or giraffe, okay? Um, and we don't have, you know, we don't have any room for any other groups, okay? All right, there'll be no pandas, uh, no tigers, nothing like that, okay? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool stuff. This morning, um, I want us to look at the subject of disappointment. And I know that's not a, a real pleasant word sometimes, and, and its connotation may not be one of our favorite things to talk about, but uh, Scripture has a lot to say about it, and uh, I want us to, to see exactly um, what God uh, would have us to, uh, to learn about that subject. There are people, uh, and, and I believe Christian people, uh, in, in other churches, uh, in other uh, denominations that would tell us that disappointment is unnecessary or um, not intended, maybe is a better way to say that, for the Christian. That disappointment is a result of lack of faith or or decisions, or a lack of giving, or whatever the case might be. And with all due respect, um, it's just not what Scripture says. James said that we should count it all joy when we face trials of every kind. And, and the important word in, in that sentence and in that verse is the word when. James tells us that in the Christian life, we are going to encounter um, things that are not pleasant. We're going to encounter things that, that we don't particularly enjoy. We're going to have trials. We're going to have hard times. We're going to have um, disappointments. And I don't really understand the, the teaching and the doctrine of those, those other folks that say that uh, disappointment is not meant for the Christian when we look at the life of Jesus itself and see that it's riddled with hard times and full of disappointment. But nevertheless, this morning, there are a couple of facts about disappointment that I think we can count on. And the first one is this. You're going to have them. I'm going to have, we're going to have disappointments in this life. Now, some of them absolutely are a result of poor decisions that we might make ourselves. I'm, I'm really not talking about those things this morning. I'm talking about the other times in life when things just simply don't go our way and we don't really have a good explanation for it. Why do those times happen and what do we do? When those things happen, those things are going to happen to us. There's, 
You know, there's going to be that time in life when you work absolutely as hard as you can work and you do all the right things and you come in second. Going to be that time in life when you love her with all of your heart and for some unknown reason, even to her, she does not love you back. Going to be that time, Mom, when you have found the perfect son-in-law for your daughter, upright, educated, clean-cut, and yet she's head over heels for the long-haired guitar player whose ambition in life is to get the highest score in the new video game. We don't understand that, but it's going to happen. Going to be some time in life when you're up for the promotion and you've spent years doing the job that you were given to do and you did it well and it makes sense to everybody that you should be in line for the promotion and the job goes to someone else. That's just life. We're going to have disappointment. The second fact is this. We're going to respond to that disappointment. We're going to respond to the disappointment. And even if we kid ourselves this morning and we say, I'm just choosing not to respond, that in and of itself is a response. Everybody got that? You know, even if I just uh, tell myself the biggest story in the world and say that I'm just going to pull the covers over my head and let the storm pass by and I'm just not going out, I'm not going to see anybody, I'm not going to talk to anybody, I'm not going to do anything, if that's the way they want it, fine. They can do it without me. That's a response. We're going to respond to disappointment. We don't have a choice in that. The trick for us this morning is learning how to do that in the strength of God and in the way in which he would have us to do that. So let's look at Jeremiah and see what he says. I think I said Jeremiah chapter 7 a while ago, but I meant 17, okay? It's like I tell my kids on the football field, don't do what I say, do what I think, you know. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. That's where I got that from. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like the tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's the goal, isn't it? That's the goal. Jeremiah doesn't say that there's not going to be a drought. No, he says just the opposite. He says the drought's coming. Doesn't say that there's going to be a time or not going to be a time when um, there's no water available or anything like that. No, he makes it clear those times are going to come. What he talks about is the difference between the tree that's planted correctly and the one that is not. 
And our goal in life this morning is to be like that tree that has those deep roots in that life-quenching, never-ending water that allows us to keep right on going, to keep right on blooming, even when the disappointments come. How do you do that? How do we get there? How do we get to that place of contentment? How do we get to that place where the unwelcome times in life are disappointments, but they're not devastations? How do we get to this state that Jeremiah is talking about this morning? Well, there's three things I want to, want to share quickly um, this morning. Um, the first one is this. We have to require a personal foundation. We have to require a personal foundation. Jody Mitchell's sitting back there, and he built our house a few years ago, and I don't know anything about building houses. Um, I think there's some hammering and nailing and stuff like that involved. I'm not real sure. But one thing that I kind of was insistent upon when we first began talking, I said, Jody, I don't want foundation problems later on, okay? If I ever get this one paid for, I'm never going to be able to build another one. You know, I got to live there. I don't want the foundation to have issues later on because I knew enough to know that without that, everything else was just smoke and mirrors. Everything else was just window dressing. Without a foundation, you don't have anything of substance. You don't have anything that you can rely on, that you can count on. And if we didn't spend a lot of uh, effort and energy and money in that phase of it, then I was building a house of cards. My man Jody, he knocked it out. Dirt 10 feet tall and, and you know, big concrete trucks and he's got this cable tension thing going through there and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what's going to happen to that house, but that slab's going to be there, okay? You've got to require a foundation. And you say, well, what do you mean, Cody? What, what do you mean require a personal foundation. We are, we are Christians. We've accepted the Lord. He is our foundation. I understand that, but are we requiring our relationship, our interaction with him on a regular basis so that when the disappointments in life come along, they don't topple us? Maybe think about it like this. Think about getting ready to go to work or to school or wherever you go every morning. We've all got a routine, right? Some of our routines are just a few minutes. Some of them are a couple hours, you know? Uh, but we've all got a routine of what we have to do in order to get ready to go. And think about the things that you take with you every single day. And now particularly focus on the thing or things that if you get down the road and realize you forgot it, you'll stop and go back. Might, might be your, your keys to get into the office. Might, could be your, your, uh, your wallet or your purse or uh, 
For a lot of people, it's their phone. Think about that thing that if you realize you've forgotten it, you'll stop and go back and get it. You see, you've required that of yourself and you've made a conscious, deliberate effort to make sure that you don't leave and go out into the world without that in your possession. And I think we need to have that same kind of mental exercise and spiritual thought process before we walk out the door. We should not go where life takes us that day without stopping and making a conscious effort to take Jesus with us. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't go to work and not deliberately think about him being with us. And we know that the Holy Spirit is always with us. The Holy Spirit lives with inside of us. But we need to activate the greatest source of strength and wisdom that we have available to us. And we need to do it every single day. Paul talked about taking up your cross daily. Okay? That's, that's our mission. That's our, our, our journey in this life. We have, to, we have to have a conscious thought to do that. We can't just let that happen to us arbitrarily. Well, the same thing's true with seizing the power that is Christ. In another part of Scripture, Paul likens it to putting on armor before we go into battle. Well, let me tell you, if you had not been out there lately, every day's a battle in our world. Don't go to work without Jesus. That's the dumbest thing I could do. Kids don't go to school without Jesus. Don't leave home without him. Pardon my stealing that commercial. But we've got to engage and require of ourselves our personal foundation. The second thing that we have to do is that we have to um, not only require that foundation, okay, We've got to rely on that foundation. Let's, let's look at another passage of Scripture real quick. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. I'll try to get the numbers right this time. John chapter 6. John starts this chapter, and he's going to tell about... Um, the feeding of the 5,000, the large multitude of people. This is one of the stories that we find in all of the Gospels, okay? John has a particular little tangent that he chases uh, in his telling of the story, and I want us to look at that for just a second. Uh, look with me in verse 5. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a single bite. What's going on? Why is Jesus Testing Philip. Got thousands, probably 15, 20,000 people. Hungry people. 
And Jesus is going to test Philip. Why? Who was Philip? We don't know. We really don't. There's very little um, said about the disciple Philip in Scripture. This is not the same Philip that traveled with Paul later that became an evangelist. Those are two different individuals, okay? We don't know a whole lot about this man named Philip. But there was something he was supposed to get from this situation that Jesus wanted him to understand. And I like what John says. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew he was going to feed these people. That wasn't going to change. But he didn't waste this opportunity to help Philip grow a little bit. He asked him, he said, um, where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people to eat? And, and Philip goes, oh, it'd take a half year's salary to do this. Maybe your, your version of scripture this morning says something like, it would take 200 denarii. That was a denomination of money, okay? And, and I don't know exactly why Philip used that particular sum. I really, really don't. All I can do is kind of uh, wonder. And, and it may simply have been a, an expression or a phrase like half a year's salary. That, that may have been all there was to it. But there's some indication that along their journeys, Philip had a little bit to do with the money that Jesus and the disciples dealt with. He was not the treasurer like Judas was, but uh, he had something to do with that. And I'm wondering if maybe Philip looked in the bank bag and that's what he saw. I'm wondering if he said 200 denarii because that's all they had. kind of inclined to believe that may be the case and that's what the test was all about because you see when faced with an obstacle Philip started counting his coins rather than counting on Christ Philip started counting his coins and said we can't do it we can't do it what was the right answer when Jesus asked him where we're going to get enough bread. What was the right answer? The answer was, Lord, I don't know. But you do. I can't do it, God. I can't get enough food to feed all these people, but I know you can. Or maybe even something a little more straight to the point when when Jesus said, Philip, where are you going to get enough bread to feed these people? He maybe should have said, I'm not, but you are. I mean, seriously. That was the test, and that's the test that he failed that day. We can't count our coins. We can't count our resources. We can't count the statistics and all those other things when we're faced with a challenge that may be a disappointment to us. We've got to count on Christ. And let his supernatural ability, the same ability that saves us from our sins, take care of the situation that we're in. Got to rely on the foundation. Last point is this, and I'll be through this morning. We've got to respond based on that foundation. When Jody built her house for us and he, he spent all that time working on our foundation, he, he talked to us and he said, Man, I think it'd be nice to 
um, make these, these ceilings really, really tall, make the, the walls really tall. I didn't worry about that because I knew the foundation would support that. I knew we were going to be okay. We've got to rely on our foundation even in the midst of the storm. Tony Romo, the football starts this week, so I'm, you know, kind of getting ready. Tony Romo was probably one of the most underrated, undervalued players that the Dallas Cowboys have ever had. He took a lot of criticism during his time. You probably remember the botched field goal attempt where Tony starts dribbling the ball on the turf. The interceptions that come at just the wrong time and never, never winning the big one. Well, a few years ago, um, Tony got hurt in a preseason game. And this unknown kid from Mississippi steps in and plays for him named Dak Prescott. And before you know it, the Cowboys have won 10, 11, 12 football games. And after he got well, Tony Romo held a press conference. And he said, to say I'm not disappointed that I'm no longer getting to play would be untrue. He said, but Dak Prescott deserves to be our quarterback. And I'm going to get out of the way and let him do that and be his biggest fan and his biggest supporter. I was pretty critical of Tony before then. But man, when he did that, it really caused me to pay attention to him. And I began to do a little research, and I've had a couple of opportunities to hear Tony Romo give his personal testimony and how his life and his faith since he was in college has been grounded in Christ. You know, he could have handled that situation a lot differently. He could have said, hey, this is my job. It's not my fault that I got hurt. I've got a contract. I want my job back. They didn't do that. Tony Romo had a great deal of influence at that particular time with the Dallas Cowboys organization. I'll never forget watching television one time and the NCAA basketball championships were being played in AT&T Stadium and you look up in the, uh, the uh, luxury suites and they panned the television up to one particular suite and there's President Bush, President Clinton, and Tony Romo. I'm telling you, he could have played the influence card and gotten his job back. He could have played the I deserve it card and gotten his job back. He could have played the I didn't do anything wrong card and gotten his job back, but he didn't do that. He dealt with a disappointment just like Jeremiah talks about. He didn't know where he was going, what he was going to do. He didn't understand at that particular time he would be the highest paid person on television in 
the free world, which he is today. But he understood that regardless of how hurt he was and how disappointed he was, that God was still in charge. In the early part of his career, when people would botch things up on the football field, some reporters got to calling it pulling a Romo. I have a whole lot more respect for that term now. And I hope that when I'm in that situation, and when I'm hurt and I'm disappointed and I don't understand why, that I'll acquire the foundation that I have in Christ and I'll rely on that and I'll respond on that and I hope that I have the substance within me to pull a Romo and to be as classy as he was. That only comes through the shed blood of Christ on Calvary as it's applied to our lives. And that's how God would have for us today. Before we pray, I want to just uh, invite everybody that if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that kind of peace and that kind of confidence, that knowing that even when the unpleasant times come, that you have a foundation and you have a, you have a lifeline to eternal living water. If you never accepted Christ as your Savior, we encourage you to, to truly, truly contemplate that today. Come talk to Byron after the service. If you've never followed him in baptism, Byron would like to talk to you about that as well. If you're here this morning, maybe you're new to the community, you're looking for a church home, this is a pretty good one. They've let me come for a long time. You're a shoe-in, man, if they let me come. He'd like to talk to you about that as well. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for every expression of your love and your grace, and we're grateful, Father, that you're not just the God of uh, all the great and mighty things that Scripture tells us about, but you also are the God of those daily disappointments that we sometimes encounter. And Father, you're the God that has all that we need to handle those situations, God, as you would have us to. Lord, may we rely on you and trust in you and, and smile in the midst of, of those hard times because we know that these things are temporary and not of eternal value. God, if there's somebody here this morning who's never experienced that kind of true peace, that true contentment, Lord, that only comes when we have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would just move in them in such a way that they couldn't leave this place without coming and visiting with Byron and, or any of the rest of us, Father, and, and nailing that down in their lives. Whatever you want to do with us this morning, God, we ask you to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.